Good morning. Thank you, Eric. The Kraken, baby. Release the Kraken. There we go. There we go. Well, hopefully you realize you sat on something, or before you sat on it, you picked it up. These are some cards that we had made, and my encouragement to you is to use them. And a really easy way to use them is, I, I trust that most of us, if not all of us, at some time, you go out to eat. And you hopefully leave a generous tip to whoever waits on you. And just leave one of these cards behind and just see what happens. Maybe you could leave it behind at the library. I'll leave it behind when you're waiting for your car to be worked on or whatever the case might be. But this is just a, an easy way. And we're just, we're dropping all kinds of lines in the water. That's what we're doing. And we're seeing where we might get a bite, okay, as, as God and his spirit works through our efforts. So anyways, please take those with you. We got plenty of them on the back. Uh, in, on the kiosk tables, you can grab more than just one, all right? So hopefully that's an encouragement to you. I want to take a moment and just be quiet and pray. And I want you and me just to kind of, whatever we came in here with, whatever distractions could possibly get in the way, let's just give those to God right now. And I'll give you a moment to do that. And then I'll pray and we'll move on. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord God, that we are in a country where we can freely gather in this way. May we be mindful of our brothers and sisters, people who look just like us that don't have such freedom, and yet they still gather. So God, may we take this privilege that we have and recognize the responsibility in it. As we open up your word, I pray you'll open up our hearts and our minds, Lord God. I have nothing to say to anybody that's worth getting up and being here. But God, you have everything to say to us, and that is worth getting up and being here. And I pray you'll speak through me in a way that will challenge, encourage, inspire, glorify, and honor you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're back to Romans chapter 13, and... Um, I, I don't know if you remember, a while back, I walked out with a construction hat on because I knew it was going to be one of those, this is a hard, hard message. It just is. Uh, I can't think maybe of a better time as maybe last week, you know, that uh, this will be my last Sunday for a while and then I'm going to go on a sabbatical. I probably can't think of a better time to leave than after this message. <laughs> so if you're going to write me your emails, go ahead. I will catch up to them, but it's going to be a while. So just understand that. But this is hard hitting. And again, once again, I'm a messenger. Okay? I'm simply delivering a message. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm no, I'm no different. I'm, no, I'm not exempt from what we're going to read this morning at all. So with that in mind, I'm, I'm going to test my, my uh, ability to hopefully communicate in ways that you remember past just the 72 hours typically that anyone that shares something has. Tell me that you remember my expression, oxymoron faith. Okay, okay, that's good, right? So that came from, actually back in March, 
we were in Romans chapter, well, chapter 12 is where we were. In Romans chapter 12, and we came across, it'll be up on the screen. We came across these two verses in Romans chapter 12. Listen for the oxymoron in these two verses. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So, so hopefully you heard in that, this, the idea that, and, I, and I, I was kind of joking a little bit. I said, when people, if I ever get in a spiritual conversation, they ask me, well, well like, what faith am I, or what, what are my beliefs? I'm going to say, well, I'm an oxymoron. I, I, I have, I'm an oxymoron faith. And, and, and the idea is that we have here, Paul is, 11 chapters, he has been explaining God's amazing um, person, creation, love, grace, our despicable brokenness, sin, and shame. And that he brings the two of those together through what Christ's perfect life in our place and then Jesus' substitutionary death in our place. And then God raised him three days later to say this is the guy. And he, all 11 chapters and then he turns a corner. And it's like now he says, now let's apply. Let's put into practice what I've just been spending 11 chapters getting you to understand. Because it's really important that your mind is set on the right, correct beliefs. And he says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, present. Don't be forced. Don't be dragged. Don't be manipulated. Don't be guilted. Just recognize what Jesus has done and say, how can I not do that? And so we, we, lift, we present our lives as these living sacrifices, which means we are constantly living dead people. We are dead to ourselves, dead to the fleshly desires, dead to the worldly ways. And we're seeking, as the Spirit works in us, to bring out in us the likeness of Christ. And it's so important, and he says that we, the way we keep that mentality is we renew our minds constantly. Why is that? Because what you think affects what you feel, and what you feel affects what, how you act. It's the same for me. You think about something long enough, it, it brings these feelings, and our feelings are very strong, and out of those feelings, we act. And it's so, it's so important that Paul's saying, renew your mind with this idea that you are a living sacrifice. And from that, then he spends chapters 12 and 13, he, he starts rolling out what does it look like, what does the oxymoron faith look like in practice? And we spend a lot of time doing that. Well, that's, we're right back today in chapter 13, and we're going to look at all of chapter 13. It is that yet, here are some more ways that we can live our oxymoron faith out. And God uses that. Chapter 13 and what I want you to, if you can, use your imagination. God has blessed us with an imagination. To understand the audience, Paul is writing a letter to a church in Rome. And in Rome, you had the Roman Empire. And most likely Caligula was the Roman emperor of the time. And my friends, the Roman Empire, the Roman government was vastly more dysfunctional and evil and broken than anything we've ever seen in, in U.S. history. And Caligula, and possibly even Nero, there might be some overlap, were moral train wrecks. And yet Paul, inspired by God, 
writes these verses. So just think about that. You're a Christian in Rome and Paul's writing this letter to you. And he says, verse 1, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. Those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Do not owe anything or anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment, all are summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. A reference to the Mosaic law, the law that God gave Moses for the people of Israel to live by. Besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you wake up, for you to wake up from your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the daylight is, is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Okay, so we're going to jump in. And I want to, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three additional ways that we can live our lives as oxymorons. Okay, as living sacrifices. And the first is in verse 1, and it's, it's unmistakable that, that we are to submit to government. That is, that is the simplest reading of verse 1. I mean, it seems pretty clear. We've got to start with that right there, that we are to submit to government. Now, we don't really like that. And, and why don't we like it? We don't like to be told what to do. We don't typically like authority unless we're the authority. But the simplest reading of this, Paul, again, keep in mind who he's writing to in the time in which he's writing. We are to submit. And, it, and verse 2 says, if we don't submit, that we're disobeying God. I'm curious, does that ever cross your mind? Does it ever cross my mind? When you're disobeying the government and, and whatever form that might take, do you ever think, I just, I just disobeyed God? Or, or I bet sometimes you're thinking, I'm sticking it to the man because if, if God would want me to stick it to the man because the man doesn't know what he's doing. Now, granted, we all have our strong feelings about government and, and, and today in this time and culture and climate, right, we're, we're like highly sensitive to these matters. But I promise you the governmental mess that 
exists today as we might however we might define it is nothing compared to what Paul is writing and he says in there to submit right because of your conscience he says he says don't just submit because you're afraid you'll get caught and pay some penalty he goes that's not what a follower of Christ does that's not what an oxymoron does you submit because in your conscience you know as Paul has just said that government is God's servant for our good he instituted he established government And for that reason, we are to obey. And and he kind of, in verse 7, he goes on, he says that we're to pay your obligations to everyone, taxes and tolls. And so we're to pay our taxes and tolls. That's what we're to do. But notice what he adds to the list. To those of you who are very active on social media. To those of you who are very quick to talk about your disdain and your disgust. He says that we are to respect those and to honor those who we owe respect and honor to. He's talking about government. Now I realize that it's very hard and I'm I'm, I'm at the front of the line maybe with with, I'm so disillusioned by politics it's it's not even honestly something I I think about a whole lot because it's just so discouraging to me. And certainly there are faces to people when I think about and I've, the ways I've thought about them and the ways I have talked about them were anything but respectful or honoring them in any way. Now, in some cases you might say, well, they may not be deserving as individuals. They may not be deserving of respect and honor. Okay. But what Paul is telling us is that the office is. That God established and instituted government. And for that reason, we owe respect and honor to the office and even to the person that holds that office. Now, we, be, we need to be wise and discerning of that. But I, when, I think, when I was thinking about this, uh, MLK came to mind, Martin Luther King. It, when he was writing against the establishment over racism, he did it in a respectful way. He honored the office. And I think that's how we've got to approach this. We've got to be really careful when we're posting on social media. Our frustrations. And when we're t- having conversations, whether it's out socially or, or at work or wherever it might be, we got to really remember, Paul is commanding that we owe respect and honor to that which God has instituted and has initiated. And we'll, we'll come to that in just a second. And the, I'll, I'll just say this much and then we'll move on. I think the more you let yourself become discipled by Fox and CNN, the harder this is going to be. We, we need to be discipled by the word of God. And when you listen more to Fox and CNN, and you let that into your head, and into your mind, and into your thoughts, that's going to create those feelings, and then you're going to act, and you're going to say disrespectful things, dishonoring things. You see why I'm leaving, right? I mean, is it, is it kind of, this is why I wanted to wear a hard hat out here, right? I mean, this is not easy. But this is the word of God. This is what oxymorons do. So, I don't know that you can get away from the simplest reading that we're to submit and, 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 uh, and obey the government. Now, the next thing is, are there any exceptions? Is this just unilaterally? Is this um, absolute? Well, no. Paul says, Everyone must sit to government, the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. So Paul is saying that, that government is God's 
invention. It's his idea. But that that's not always played out that way. And certainly God is not going to honor and bless and institute a government that goes and opposes his will. He's not going to do that. And so is there an exception? Yes, there's an exception. And the exception is when you or I are forced to disobey God to honor government. Whether it's an act of commission or omission. Whether they tell us to stop doing something that's against the will of God and we have to keep doing it. Just like Peter in Acts chapter 5 when they were proclaiming the word of God and the authorities were saying stop it and they said we can't obey you we must obey God. And so there was the appropriate civil disobedience. It's when we're forced to have to do something that goes against the will of God. And I know, uh, can you think of a time recently when this really kind of came out? I don't even want to say it because I'm so tired of it. I'll tell you, part of this, part of the reason I'm going on sabbatical is because of it, in all honesty. I got to just kind of recover from that, both internally and, and outside as well. But the point of that is that we need to recognize and not get so worked up and so informed from other sources than God's word so that we can recognize when it is appropriate for civil disobedience. And I think a lot of people jump to that really quickly. Because I want you to consider for a moment, just consider the tension here, because there's tension. This is not as, civil disobedience is not as clear as it appears. And it certainly was not as clear as some people made it appear during that time that I spoke of. Consider for the moment that Joseph in the Old Testament, he served Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, if you will, who persecuted Joseph's people. And yet Joseph was there serving on Pharaoh's cabinet. Daniel, Daniel, a Jew, was on and served under King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians who were evil or, or vicious enemies of God's people. And so we have this tension there of where there's, there was apparently for Daniel and Joseph, there was, they, they sacrificed in some way to still continue to serve Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. Consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. Let me just, let me get you there. Matthew chapter 22. Listen to Jesus' teaching in verse 17. These are, um, the Pharisees are, are trying to challenge him. In verse 17 they say, tell us therefore what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So keep in mind, this is in Jerusalem. Uh, it's Roman occupation. So you have the soldiers that are there that are preserving the Roman occupation. They're in God's land. They're, they're, they're uh, over God's people. And the Pharisees are saying, hey, should we pay taxes? And in verse 18, Jesus says, but perceiving their malice, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. Whose image inscription is this? And he asked them, Caesar's, they said to him, then he said to them, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus is telling them to pay their taxes. And these taxes, by the way, they supported the soldiers who preserved the occupation. These taxes were used to build jails that jailed Christians for proclaiming their faith. And, and I'm bringing this up only to, just, just to make you and to make me pause for a moment and just realize it's not really that easy to disobey the command that's in verse 1. We just better be really careful 
that when we start implying or start, uh, excuse me, appropriating civil disobedience, that we're not doing it because of pride. And we're not doing it because of personal preference, because we just don't like what they're doing. We've got to be really careful in light of Romans chapter 13 that we're very mindful of why we're doing something against what God's word says and, and being very honest with who we are and in our hearts as well. So let's get back to government for a minute. So that's just, he talks about government as being instituted by God and, that, and that it's God's servant. And I, I had some conversations with some of you that thought to, you thought to yourself, how in the world could God associate with anything so corrupt and so messed up? How is that possible? And because of that block in your thinking, you're like, how am I going to listen or obey anything in light of that? And this is what we have to remember, that God instituted, instituted government and it was by his ideal. This ideally works. This is how it should work. It should be for the good of the people. But what happened? Sin of human beings tainted it. And so the human reality often is quite different than God's ideal for government. And we have to just recognize that. But it doesn't mean because it's run at times in a, in a terrible way, in a way that God never meant, it doesn't mean that we just throw the baby out with the bathwater and we say, I'm not going to obey government. I, I don't think we have room to do that. And being mindful that it, it, Paul says it's for our good. And by that he's saying that government is there so that it, it becomes a deterrent to evil. Uh, it, it, it helps in, in the seeking of justice uh, to punish evil. And as a matter of fact, um, it says there in verse 4, For government is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. So there's room for capital punishment here. Now that is a conversation we're not going to go into, but I just want you to recognize there's room for it here. But there are a lot of questions that have to be asked to really understand how that's played out. But we're not going to do that here. But what I, I want you to notice is the, the purpose of government is to protect, it's to serve, it's to protect us from our domestic enemies and our foreign enemies with law enforcement, uh, with national defense and those kinds of things. Now, is government there for more? Oh, now we're really going to open up the can here, right? Not gonna, now, we're not going to get into that, but some of you think, yes, government, like economic policies and welfare, the, the government should be responsible for that. Some of you think, no, they shouldn't be responsible for that. And this is where we have to agree to disagree. And, and, and in the church, where else will happen where we can agree to disagree and not lob bombs into each other's camp? Not on social media, just post these kind of, you know, passive aggressive statements or maybe just overtly aggressive statements into one another's camp. We just don't have the room to do that in light of Romans 13, in light of the fact that God instituted government, that we're to respect and honor those who hold the office of government. So, to be an oxymoron is to obey and submit to government. What else does that involve? Well, look, look at verses 8 through 10. Paul talks about love. So we're transitioning now from owing and paying our taxes to owing and paying something else. And Paul talks about love. He says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now let me just carve out for a moment here. When you see that, some people will build a, a theology around the idea of any kind of debt. That Paul is saying you, you, you should have zero debt. It means no mortgages, no credit card, nothing. And, and that's, 
that's not at all what he's talking about. Paul is not getting into the intricacies of debt. Um, as a matter of fact, it just, it, verse 7 would not make any sense if that was the case. When verse 7 says, pay your obligations to everyone. The usury laws in the Old Testament would make no sense if there was not okay debt. What Paul is saying is he's saying when you engage in debt, make sure you pay it off timely. Pay it off when it's due. That, that's, that's where Paul's going with this. Now he's, he's using that analogously with, with this idea of love because we can't ever pay off love. But what I want you to notice which is really interesting is he says do not owe anyone anything except love. Now here's the question. Why does Paul say owe? How do we owe love to people in this room, to people in the church, to people outside? How do we owe them love? Have they done something to deserve it? Have they done something to earn it, to put us in debt to them? Well, no, they haven't. So where is Paul driving here? Where is he going with this idea that we are obligated to love? other people that have done nothing for us and can't deserve our obligation. What does he make? Well, in Romans chapter 1, and I appreciate if you guys have, I'm sure some of you have heard of John Piper. John Piper uh, is a wonderful, um, uh, well, I think he's a wonderful uh, communicator, um, but he's also just knows the scripture. And as I was studying, preparing, I, I just kept reading some things he was saying. I was like, oh man, this is really helpful. But in Romans chapter 1, Verses 14 and 15, Paul says this. He says, I am obligated. That's the same word here that we see in Romans chapter 13 in which the word is O. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. So Paul's saying, I have an obligation. And what is that obligation? That obligation is to proclaim the good news of Christ to all in the world. And I'm obligated to them. I owe them that. Even though they've done nothing for me, I owe them that. Well, why is that? Well, because previously in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Romans, he says, we have received grace and apostleship through him. That means through Jesus. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. So let's put that together. Paul is saying, we owe love. Paul owes love, not oh, well, to, 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 the, to, the, to the world, to people he needs to proclaim the gospel to. Not because they've done something for Paul, but it's because of what Jesus has done for Paul. You see, Jesus paid Paul's debt. Paul had a debt to God for his sins. His sins needed to be forgiven and Paul could do nothing in his own effort and energy. It required the perfect sacrifice of Christ and Paul put his faith in Jesus and at that moment his sins were forgiven and he was right with God. Jesus paid Paul's debt. But Jesus can't, or Paul can't pay Jesus back because that's not the relationship. It, Christ's love was free. And Paul could never pay back because he could never do enough to pay it back. Just like you or I. We can never do enough to pay Christ back. And so what happens, this is a very unique debt, if you will. It's a debt we incur for what Jesus has done for us. In which Jesus has done it by grace. It's free love. And so what he's doing is he's passing the free love he gave to us that we are to pass it on to others. 
That we are to freely love them. And by free, it's because they don't, they've not done nothing, they've done nothing for us. But Jesus has done everything for us. And so we're going to love them in that way. And that makes the connection, that makes our love unique. So the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we love people in that way? And here comes the kick butt of all texts, I think, of all passages of Scripture. Paul quotes Christ. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that might sound harmless. That might sound like no real big deal. But what Christ is doing when he says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, he's acknowledging that everyone in this room seeks love. We all seek love. And we stop, we don't stop at it. Whatever it might be, we, we pursue, whether we, we, we try to find love through accomplishment or we try to find uh, love and happiness through our circumstances or whatever it might be, we pursue it and we're after it. We're going we're gonna to take care of self. And the love that an oxymoron shows is a love here that has that in mind. So that we make the degree of your self-seeking and my self-seeking the measure of our self-giving. That's what Paul, oh, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul's bringing forward from the Gospels. He's saying to be people of love, to, to, to pay the debt off that you owe everyone which is love, which can never be paid off like a mortgage can or like a tax bill can be paid off, that you're always in obligation. We do that by using the measure that we in seeking love for ourselves and seeking what we need to meet our needs to find our happiness, that's the way we love other people. And that, my friends, is a lot different than I think a lot of our love looks like. I think a lot of our love looks like like. And liking's easy. Loving's hard. Loving's, it's messy. It, it costs us things. It's very challenging. But my friends, it's revolutionary. It's the contrast the world needs to see from the church that we really are different. We really are oxymorons. And we're living it out and, 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 and we believe it. Now my question is, how does your love for others, that could be family members, friends, um, co-workers, that could be people that don't like you. How different does your love look from those you like? Or does your love for a lot of people look a lot like like? For all the others. Now I realize you have some people that are your, your spouse, your children, your, your brothers and sisters, your, your mom and your dad. But I'm, I'm talking about people outside of that. Because this is a command that we, 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 we not only have a command, but we have an obligation. We owe that kind of love. A kind of love that we're familiar with and we know because we seek it for ourselves. And so the degree to which we seek it, may that become the measure of your love and my love. And, and that's, that is challenging. But that's what a living sacrifice does. And now I want you to notice the connection that Paul makes. He says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. And I, I want you to know, he is connecting love and law. God's commands, God's truth. He's connecting them. And it's very important that we understand that what God is, God's command, the law that he gave Moses, the whole idea was that as you live these commands out, you are loving me and you're loving others. Because it's, it's about love. And so as we obey God's commands, we're sometimes simultaneously satisfying the love that we, we have for others and are obligated for others and the love we have for God. 
And, and that's important because people need to understand that God's commands, God's truth is both the source and expression of true love. But that's not what our culture wants to hear today. Our culture wants to hear, love me and give me what I want. Love me and leave me alone. Don't tell me how I should live. Don't tell me what's best for me. All I want you to do is to support me in what I want. And we're, we can be lost in this idea that love is giving people what they want, but that's not the connection here. The idea is the love that people need, the love that people want, is a love that comes from the truth of God. And we need to, we need to hold on to that and love them enough to give them more than just merely what they want. We recognize what it is that they need and we share that with them and we hold on and we, 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 we sometimes, you know, we, we hear that we don't judge me. Don't judge me. And you've heard that maybe. Or maybe you've thought you'll hear that if you say something. I've heard it. To which I respond to the best that I can, as humbly as I can. My attempt is not to judge you, but it is to love you. When I see you doing something that I think is going to hurt you, you may think it's not going to hurt you, but if I think it's going to hurt you, if I don't say anything, then am I really being loving? I'm not. And, and that's the expression of love, that's the source of love that comes from understanding the truth of God's word and believing it. And as you think about it and you feel it, you will live it. So we have oxymoron faith is, is submitting to government. It's loving others as you love yourself. And then lastly, it is about keeping an eternal perspective. In verse 11, he says, besides this, he goes, knowing the times, it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep, he says. They knew the times. They had been taught the times. And what's the times that he's speaking of? He's talking about the time in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. It's the same time we're in now. We're in the what's called the already but not yet age. It means that the kingdom of God has broken into the world. God, when Jesus came the first time, when he taught them to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we can begin to pray that because Jesus is coming, his inauguration, he established the kingdom. He conquered sin and death. And the kingdom is alive and it breaks out wherever followers of Jesus are, wherever they gather, wherever they, they love and they serve. The, the kingdom of God is breaking out. And we need to keep that perspective. We need to be mindful of that perspective. And they knew that. They knew that Jesus was coming back. And we know that Jesus is coming back. And we need to live within the overlap of this broken world where there's sin and death and disease and disappointment and depression which is overlapped by the kingdom of God where there's joy and there's peace and there's righteousness and there's meaning and purpose. And we live with that tension. We live with that, that challenge. And Paul says that our salvation is near. The daylight is near. When you ever read that, you think, how can that be? This was 2,000 years ago and it still hasn't happened yet. What does he mean? Well, when we start to question that, and believe me, our adversary wants us to question it because it discourages us. It, it, it compromises how we see God's word. But we have to remember, uh, Peter talked about that God's time reference is vastly different than ours. You see, God is outside of time. I'm trying to get your mind around that. But he is outside of time. And so Peter says that for God, a thousand years is one second and one day. And he just kind of talks about how time is really just, um, th there's, there's no sense that for us to be frustrated with God that he's not on time. Because God is outside of time. 
and, and we've got to keep our mind and perspective on that, that this, the kingdom, it, it's coming. Jesus is coming back, but let us not get stuck on that. And, and, that, and having that perspective, if, if you cannot fixate on this world, but, but, but focus on the world that's coming, that makes a difference. I mean, take someone who's not a follower of Christ. When they have like a near-death experience, talk to them. They'll say, man, I see things differently now. And they begin to prioritize their lives a little bit. The work isn't as important. Spending, you know, relationships are even more important to them. Now, it might last, it might not. But when a follower of Jesus is born again, we're, the Spirit of God comes inside of us. We have implanted in us an eternal perspective that doesn't wane. It's always there. We're always mindful as the Spirit testifies to, the, to Jesus and his return. We're always mindful of the, of the perspective. And Paul says, wake up. And I think there's not a stronger word to those of us in America in particular with all of our prosperity. Is that we've got to wake up. And this, see, the world wants us to put us to sleep. And they want to put us to sleep, it says, by chasing our evil desires. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. We chase after fleshly, worldly desires. And Paul is saying that we need to wake up from that. That the church, my friends, is in a battle. We are not on a cruise. And that's why he says that we're to put on the armor of light. He's, he's talking about weaponry. But we as a church, we've kind of fallen into this idea We've been kind of lulled to sleep thinking we're on a cruise. That's never what God's words ever said. From the day that Jesus came to the day that he ascended to be with God to the day that the spirit was infused on all believers and they were sent out, it has always been a battle. And we've tried to somehow commodify this, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but man, I'm going to make it really easy doing it. I'm, I'm going to have fun doing it. I'm, I'm going to kind of try to balance between the spiritual uh, desires that God has given me and, and the fleshy ones that are okay, that are fun. But that's, that's not what we're given here. And the battle we face is the battle to not go the way of our fleshly desires. It's, not to, it's to not like the things of the world more than we like and love God and are serving God and are committed to Him and pursuing the kingdom mission that he has us on. So he says to put on the armor because it's the battle. But he also says to put on Christ. That means he's, he's reiterating what he said in Romans chapter 8. Listen to Romans chapter 8. This is a great promise that we have. This is the goal of the Christian faith. In Romans chapter 8, you've, you've heard this verse before. You're, you're familiar with 28, but you're really not familiar with 29, more than likely. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We love that verse. Because what God is saying is God is saying, I got you. Everything in your life, I got you. I'm using everything in your life to bring about in you good. So, so approach that tough time with that attitude, with that mentality, with that kingdom perspective, that eternal perspective. Approach your life like that and it'll be okay. And of course, we're thinking our good is, okay, I'm going to get this promotion, this raise. I'm going to get out of this, this, this uh, health diagnosis that I got. I'm, I'm going to beat it. it. Yes. And then 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. My friends, the good that God promises to do in our lives to take everything that happens, everything, and to manage them and to orchestrate them into our likeness of Christ. 
That's what an oxymoron understands. That's how an oxymoron lives. And we need to be focused on what is to come and not what is, and, and fixated on what is here. So, with that in mind, I leave you with this. I challenge you to fast from everything political this week and replace it with time learning God's word. Whether that's a podcast, reading it for yourself, whatever it might be, just leave the political talking heads alone this week and just replace it with this. Secondly is, let's all step up our love game. I think we've probably been liking well. We've as we love ourselves. Let the measure that we have of seeking love and, and what we need uh, or, or the, the degree that we do it may it be the measure of how we love others. And then lastly is meditate on Romans chapter 13 verses 11 through 14. Meditate on that. Just think about and just set your mind on that because your thinking will create feeling and your feeling will create action in a way that will honor God and bless those around you, okay? Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray your blessing over this time of teaching that we would live it out, Lord God, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.